here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello, world. <laughs> Woo. It's almost the end of the year, 2019. Today is December 3rd, 2019. We are promoting the UFO Association, which we are co-creating with all of you out there that are on the planet that want to help us. And uh, we do this by invitation only or by just being in one of the groups we've already got out there. We've got several of them, and Jan Aldrich is going to help us figure all this out. And we're doing a oral report book. This is episode eight, and I'm fixing to call him right now. I just made sure he was there and wanted to make sure we could get him online today. So... We're about five minutes behind. Here we go. I have to call in the number. And uh, thank you all for joining me as all these years, TJ Morris ET Radio, and what we believe that alien civilizations exist, and we're about information disclosure. So, Hi. Hi, Jan. Jan Aldrich. Great. All right, we are live and on the air now, so we're co-creating historical oral reports with the UFO Association. I put international because you've got so many friends and so many associations, including the one you met with in Chicago. Where would you like to start today, Jan? Because I haven't; uh, those that are new listening won't know who we are, so we'll have to give them a little idea, basic introduction today on who you are. 25 years UFO business at least, I'm sure, because you did 25 years in the U.S. government and, well, 50, because you did 25 with yeah. the post office. Yeah, so it's 50, 50 years. Yeah, it's over 50 years with uh, uh, interest with UFOs. Um, what I've been doing is uh, Gr- uh, Barry Greenwood and I went out to Chicago and we uh, scanned uh, uh, some of uh, Kufos's files, the uh, Center for UFO Studies, we scanned some of those files and made them digital, so now they're computerized. And uh, since they're in more than one person's hands now, if anything should happen to the actual files, they're, uh, uh, they're saved in several places. And when we left there, we asked Mark Rodiger, who was the head of KUFOS, if uh, we had some boxes there that hadn't been filed. And uh, we asked him if we could take those home and work on them at home. And he said, sure. So that's what I've been doing today, working, and for the last month or so, working on these files, trying to get them. They needed some work to get them in order. And... uh, uh, what I found in these files, they go all the way to back to NICAP and even before then. And uh, there's some really interesting things in here. Um, now, back in 52, uh, people, if they had a close encounter with the UFO, they usually didn't speak up about it or say anything about it. 
And this one person uh, uh, wrote in uh, years later to uh, Kufos and said, hey, look, I remember this date because it was my birthday. And it was in 1952, and it was uh, July 29th. And uh, I was going down the road, and this thing came at me. And he said, the next thing I knew... Hours later, I woke up in a ditch. My car's motor had been running for hours, and uh, I don't remember being hit or anything. The car was um, not damaged by any other vehicle, but I had just lost consciousness and gone to a ditch. That's kind of amazing. It's an amazing thing, and it's just been sitting in these... Uh, in this box forever. I don't think anybody looked at it or did anything with it. It's uh, another amazing case, right from 52 also, um, from the fall. This woman saw a UFO of many colors come down. As she was watching it, she said all of a sudden it was like a, like her eyes were a telescope. It was, It was like it was right close next to her. And she said that only lasted for a couple of seconds, but she was just so amazed and uh, bewildered about that. How did that happen? And it, it just so shocked her. It's just like, a, well, we tend to call that the Oz factor, things that uh, uh, seem really far out happening to somebody. And... Uh, this is an example of it. Uh, some people say when they see a UFO uh, close up, uh, sometimes the, uh, all the birds and insects and, and uh, everything else, all the noise is suddenly quiet. Everything goes yeah. strangely quiet. And so I, I think this fits into the same category as these other ones. This is the first thing I've read about this. She said it was only for a few seconds, but she said it was like, it was uh, it was uh, not Dead close silent. to her, and all of a sudden, it, she said her eyes were. It's like looking through a telescope, and the and everything was right up close to her, and then it went away, and everything was like it was before, and she uh, uh, the UFO took off, and uh, she didn't have any other effects, but it just. You know, it was just so shocking, and she said, I have to tell somebody, and she kept it secret for years from everybody, and then she wrote to Kufos about it. So that's, uh, it's, 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 uh, you know, we think we don't, we hear only uh, about maybe less than 5% of the cases that ever happen, and, uh, uh, and these uh, were just hidden away for years. Uh, the third one I heard about, or I saw, was about the Minot case. In October uh, 24th, 19, uh, 1968, just towards the end of the Condon Committee. Uh, 
I, they didn't investigate it as far as I know, All this, although the testimony from this one person indicates that they might have sent a team out there. Uh, or either that or he's con- he's confused. In any case, uh, he was involved in the Minot case, and he had sent a letter in 69. So that's one year after the Minot case. And if you want to, if you want to go look at look at Minot Air Force Base, uh, October 1968 online, I just use that as your as your search search term, and you is a huge uh, amount of documents and interviews with the uh, B-52 crews and the uh, ground crews on on the. Uh, on the case. However, this is something uh, new we didn't know about. And it was written, it was sent to NICAP in 1969. Now that's when NICAP was uh, having problems and Major Keogh got fired and Gordon Lore got fired. And so this apparently just went into a box and sat on a shelf for years. And then it was transferred to Kufos and continued to sit on the shelf until I dug it out just a few days ago. And here is more information uh, about this case. Uh, uh, I recommend that people go and look at it, but I'll tell you what the information is in this uh, in this uh, letter. Um, uh, this uh, one one of the uh, airmen there. Uh, he was there during, uh, they sent out a, a, an investigative team. Now he says it's from, uh, he thought it was from, um, Denver. So that could have been, that could have been, uh, um, uh, the Condon committee. However, it's uh, it seems to be composed of military men, so I'm thinking that uh, uh, the origin of the uh, of these people. Anyways, he, he, uh, there's a high-ranking officer by, uh, uh, in charge, a colonel, and he said, "I want to see. I want access to the uh, all the documents involved in this Minot case." And uh, he, uh, they showed him where the case was, and the sergeant that was in charge of the vault said, "You can't come in here. You, you don't have the, you don't have any access to this room." He said, "I have to, I have to keep you out." Of course, then the guy blew his stack. You know, listen here, sergeant. But they got. Uh, they got the uh, B-52 commander to come, uh, unit commander to come to the uh, um, uh, the vault, and what they did is they removed the documents. So, and that's the sergeant did exactly as he's supposed to do. He, he's not supposed to let anybody in, what, regardless of rank. <clears throat> if you're not on the access list, you don't get in. So he removed the documents so he could see them. <coughs> uh, the uh, 
Now, this is this is uh, we we did not know this before. This is new information right here about this uh, bunch coming out to uh, to review the case. We do know that the uh, the Minot uh, case was investigated by the uh, by the intelligence officer there. He was told to just record the basic details. In fact, he was told he wouldn't get any help from uh, SAC headquarters, the uh, Strategic Air Command uh, headquarters in uh, Omaha. They told him right off the bat, you're not getting any help. And just do the basics. Don't do anything. And don't talk to the B-52 crew. Talk to the people on the ground. So you say, well, he's saying this is, they're not helping me and I've got to do this stuff. Anyways, uh, uh, the radar officer and the uh, uh, electronic uh, officer on the B-52 were, uh, uh, were interviewed by uh, two uh, high-ranking Air Force officers from the Pentagon. Um, the, uh, the only the uh, uh, one of the uh, ranking pilot on the plane was interviewed by the uh, uh, by the operations office at uh, Minot and. Uh, well, let me just make a short uh, summary of what happens at, what happened at Minot. Uh, these men were on a B-52 uh, aircraft. It's, uh, it, it was a, an alert aircraft. It had nuclear weapons for a month. They were uh, they were they were supposed to, if if there was a, uh, any reason for them to. Um, uh, get involved with uh, uh, with attacking the Russians. They were the uh, they were an alert aircraft. They were on alert for for nuclear weapons. After that month, um, they they removed them from alert status, and then they have a uh, they have a check status with the plane. It goes out and. Uh, Performs a series of maneuvers. I think it's 48 hours that they were they were at the end of their maneuver phase, and they were coming back to Minot to uh, um, to finish their check of the aircraft. They they check these aircraft all, all the time before they go on alert and after they come off. The crew is there, to, you know, and the crew is checked too. Everything is everything is checked. So, after after they're checked, they're they're coming back to Minot to their home station. They're coming in for uh, for a landing, and uh, there's something on the radar trailing them. First, they're called by the uh, by the tower, and the tower says, "Listen, we're we've got something we need you to look at. Go to these coordinates." And fly there. So okay, so they're 
they go to the coordinates just like they're told. Um, uh, and then the radar guys pick up something. They said it looks about the size of a, uh, a refueling aircraft, but it's performing all kinds of very fast maneuvers behind them. The pilot can't see him at the can't see this at the time because he can't see you know in back of him. He can only see forward, so he can't see it. But the but the radar and the electronic intelligence men are able to see it. Uh, so the the uh, as this thing gets closer, the radio conks out. Now, on a nuclear aircraft, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Everything is uh, is uh, redundant. In other words, what they do is you don't just have one radio. You have a, more than one radio. So they're trying to talk to the tower, and they can't. Their radio's being jammed. They do all the anti-jamming things that they're supposed to do. Go ahead and um, change to other frequencies. Uh, perform uh, uh, things that should eliminate uh, <coughs> should eliminate uh, interference, and nothing nothing works. As uh, so they uh, they skip their landing and. And when and when they do, their uh, the the UFO goes away. Yeah, <laughs> they come back around for another pass. As they're doing it this time, <clears throat> the pilot sees the UFO. It's like a disc, and then from the front of it. There's like uh, the pilot describes it as there's sort of like a a tunnel, and then there's something that looks like a the head of a pickaxe, and that looks like some kind of a, attached to the tunnel. So there's a disc, there's a um, some kind of attachment to the front of the disc that's uh, by a tunnel. And it's uh, red, and he uh, sees it as the uh, as the aircraft is coming in, and also uh, radar picks it up. <clears throat> now during this radar, uh, they're taking pictures of the radar screen as they're doing this. So this this case has better evidence than a lot of cases. Uh, the uh, uh, the thing finally falls away, and they're able to land. And uh, the pilot is told, "Send a senior man to the uh, operations area for debrief." Uh, later on, the commander gets all these men together and sort of gives them a, a briefing of what happened. Now, while all this is happening with the B-52, there are uh, 
security men and uh, technicians on the ground who are seeing a UFO. And sometimes it coincides with what the uh, B-52 is uh, is seeing. Um, uh, It's investigated, like I said, by the intelligence officer. I told you he had problems he ran into. They said, don't, you know, don't, don't deeply investigate it. Essentially what they're telling him is just uh, talk to the ground people. Don't talk to the pilot. And uh, eventually Blue Book gets involved, and it's one of the few times when they actually did a good, um, they kept requesting more and more information, so, or SAC uh, sent them more and more information, but there's certain things that are uh, apparently not uh, told to them. And like I said, they they had a briefing with the uh, with the base commander and he said uh, he told them about other things that are happening at the same time they were having trouble with people trying to get into the base uh, and and things like that now the uh, uh, when we interviewed the uh, pilot we asked him, well, were you told not to talk about it? He said, no, we weren't told not to talk about it. We knew not to talk about it. He said, we didn't have to be told. We knew not to talk about it. So they didn't They didn't discuss this with themselves. The crew on the B-52. So... Uh, <coughs> The, uh, and after that, they were broken up because it was the Vietnam War, and they were sending people to Vietnam because we were bombing uh, North North Vietnam with B-52s. We were not using nuclear, but we were using uh, conventional bombs. <coughs> the crew was broken up. And so we asked uh, the pilot when we interviewed him, he said, uh, can you tell us who the other members of the crew are? And he remembered maybe one name. And we thought, uh-oh, this is going to end right here. But he says, you know, I have something that might help. And he looked through his material, and here's a, a big photograph of the B-52 and all the crew standing out in front of it. And when he saw, and you could see the name tags, you could read the name tags. So here's the B-52 crew. And then when he sees the name tags, he remembers everybody's first name and their nickname and everything. He just had to have his memory jogged. And we asked him if he had talked to these people since then, and he hadn't. And so what uh, my friend Tom Tallinn did, he he located everybody that was alive. I think there was one fellow that had died, but he located the radar officer, the the uh, uh, electronic uh, officer, the uh, the other pilot, and uh, he located some of the people on the ground. He also located um, 
uh, relatives of the intelligence officer who had done the uh, initial work, but he had passed away. His daughter knew a little bit about the case, though. And so he asked the same question again. Why are you guys talking about this now? And uh, they told him, said, look, we won the Cold War. It's over. We're going to talk about it now. Let's see what they do. So that's that's exactly what he did. He told them, uh, talked about it. However, this is in the 90s. The case happened in 68. And here was this letter about the uh, the case, which is which is spectacular, happening uh, happening years ago. Uh, it was it was pretty well unknown until uh, until the nineties. Now, uh, Peter Jennings, at ABC, did a did a special and they used this case and they went back and talked to everybody that uh in the crew on the ground crew and uh started everything from scratch they reinvestigated like it was uh uh from the very beginning they didn't take anything we we had done as uh as true they went from started from scratch and they got these guys on uh, tape, and it was on a Peter Jennings special. And he had a long segment on the nightly news. If you if you watch the nightly news every night, you know that they have just short, you know, maybe a minute or so. No, this was this was you know three or four times usually what the what the. Uh, uh, news story uh, runs. It was a, it was a long thing because Jennings was really impressed by this case. Um, here's the irony, though. We had this case at NICAP in '69. He could have started working at it back there, back then. But like I said, Major Keogh was fired, and Gordon Lore was put on indefinite leave, and so it went into a box, and I guess nobody saw it, or if they saw it, they didn't think it was there was anything to do with this case, and now we're in 2019, and this letter surfaces, and I, I just thought that was amazing, amazing that, you know, uh, it was a lost chance. I I don't know if we had if we had if they had tried to uh, use this letter in 1969, they probably wouldn't have been able to get all the interviews with the uh, crew members at that time because most of them were still in the military. But even so, it's uh, it's a it's a tragedy that we missed this thing, and it it. It took uh, till the early two, the 1990s and the early 2000s to get round up all these inter- interviews. And I want to emphasize again, 
only two people had met with each other and discussed this case. Everybody else had not discussed it among themselves at all. Uh, during the intervening years, uh, two of the crew members had met, and it wasn't a very big discussion. They said, "Oh yeah, we uh, we you know, we mentioned you know the, the the stuff we did at Minot, and and we talked about the case, but we didn't talk in detail. So it's an uncontaminated case. These guys didn't hear each other's stories." We have the radar pictures. Four experts on radar in the United States and overseas have looked at this. <coughs> the UFO is known to have gone at one point over 3,000 miles an hour just maneuvering around the uh, B-52. We don't have ground radar um uh, Tom did find somebody who was a radar o- operator at that time, but he is so paranoid about talking to people, he wouldn't talk to them. But we do have all this information, and this letter just puts the uh, icing on it. It has a few facts that we uh, we didn't know from the investigation. And like I say, it's it's online and easy to find it's it's one of the best cases, one of the best investigated cases there is. So, and that's just in the last few days that I uh, was able to uh, find it. It was it, to me. It was amazing when I found it. And I called Tom, uh, Tom about it, and the other people that have investigated. I'm, uh, I scanned it, and I'm going to send it to them. Uh, what NICAP was doing at the time that the case, uh, uh, or when the letter arrived at NICAP. Yeah, they were preparing a rebuttal for the uh, for the Condon report, and like I say, Major Keogh has gone now, and that that just dropped away. The idea of doing a rebuttal or anything like that, and I don't think the people that were left. Well, there's only really one person for a long time. There's only Nightcap was. In 69 and early 70 was just a one-man operation, and I don't think he had the uh, the background enough to realize that this letter was important. So if he even looked at it, which to me it appears that it, nobody had looked at it all these years, I don't think uh, they would have realized what they had. And besides that, uh, they had stopped trying to fight the government. Well, you don't think they used that in the Blue Book account we see on History Channel? Well, they're not going to use it in the – it is in Blue Book. Uh, The information in this letter is different. It it contains more information that that 
is in Blue Book and the investigations of this case by Tom and uh, other people, including myself, um, involve uh, facts that are not in the case um, uh, and not in the Project Blue Book case. There's uh, there's more, uh, almost 200 pages of uh, documents in Blue Book about this case and uh, a big map of the uh, Minot uh, Air Base uh, showing where the uh, sighting occurred and everything. But even so, after talking to all the witnesses, we're able to add a lot to the uh, case. Uh, and of course, the uh, the letter adds, like I said, even more. So that's, uh, like I say, the last few days have been interesting. It's always nice to find something that just appears out of almost nowhere. We thought we had all the information we were ever going to get, and here's a here's another piece of information. Well, <clears throat> you have a lot of friends that have different collections, and we, we may want to mention those that you feel closest to. Remember last week we mentioned NICAP, the gentleman that took over. I haven't heard from him, so I'll have to have him on another time after when you get when you want to have other people come on. Right. Uh, well, Barry Greenwood is. Uh... He and I are working on this particular project together, uh, trying to scan these old uh, old files. Um, uh, so one thing I would like to do, and I'm going to put it on my uh, Facebook page here, the uh, Project 1947 Facebook page, uh, probably uh, Thursday or Friday. I'm going to have a list of people that we'd like to talk to, if we or okay. And some people, some people that may not be with us anymore, but may have done during their careers a uh, maybe newspaper story about uh, UFOs. Now, since UFOs are a marginalized subject, uh, we can't expect to get lucky all the time. Um, uh, the Condon Committee, uh, Condon had a secretary. Her name was uh, Mary Lou Armstrong, and she was uh, Condon's secretary. Um, when the Condon Committee started up, she became the screener for all the cases. Um, and she didn't like the way that everything was being handled. She didn't think that any... Uh, she read these cases, and as she, as she figured out what her job was and what she was supposed to do, she said, she said to herself, these people are not taking this stuff seriously enough. Ah. 
And so she said, she wrote Condon a letter. She said, she she felt so so strongly about this. She told him, "I'm going to quit because <laughs> I don't like the way that these cases are being handled. Uh, these uh, the witnesses deserve better than what you're doing. Your investigations are not up to snuff." Uh, the project administrator does not seem to take this seriously. She wrote a letter, so that letter is part of UFO history. And I always thought she was uh, maybe an elderly woman. That was my picture of her. I didn't. I didn't know who she was. I'd never. I'd never seen any pictures of her or anything. Uh, Barry, just a little while ago, he found a picture in the Omaha newspaper. Somebody from uh, uh, the Omaha newspaper had gone out to Colorado and interviewed several people, and he met Mary Lou Armstrong, and uh, they had a picture of her, and I'm saying, wow, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is not an old woman. This is a, a, a young woman, and she's very attractive. Um, and he, he, it wasn't even a good picture of her, but she's uh, she's there sitting on a desk, not uh, you know behind a desk, but she's sitting on a desk talking to one of her girlfriends. I say, you know, why can't we find this woman? She should still be. She could be alive because she's, you know, she seems to be rather young in that picture. Um, and we've uh, we've had a, and she did actually for the uh, for the Omaha newspaper, she did say a few words. Her letter is the big thing, though. Uh, there's some correspondence where she is involved in the Condon papers, so. Uh, we know a little bit about her, but uh, it would be nice to be able to interview her or if she had any papers from that era, it would be nice to read those. And I'm thinking that there's a lot of people like that. Uh, let me just go through a few of them. Uh, Sidney uh, Sheldon the second. That's a very familiar name. Yes. Now, he was uh, counsel for the uh, for the Astronautics Committee in 1960, 61, 62, when they were, uh, when NICAP was trying to get congressional hearings. And basically what he was doing was trying to der- derail them. But he was the counsel for the for the committee. The chairman of the committee wanted to have hearings. He was convinced they should have hearings. However, he died during this time. So, in any case, the Air Force fought tooth and nail to make sure there were no congressional hearings. Uh, and this guy, he was. A, he was on the committee, and he also fought against hearings. 
and he he dealt a lot with Dick Hall from NICAP. Uh, fast forward from 1960, 61, 62 to 69, and now uh, Dick Hall is no longer working for NICAP, and he's looking for work. And this was an economically hard time. A lot of people were work, looking for work, and it's it's hard to get a job. <clears throat> he hears about a job at the Smithsonian, so he goes over to interview him. Uh, and there it is. There he is, Sidney Sheldon II. All right, so... Um, Sheldon tells him, he says, well, you know, I don't have any job for you. I just wanted you to come over and tell me what's the latest on UFOs. So Dick was disappointed because he, like he said, he, like I said, he needed a job then. Um, Dick always felt that this guy worked for the CIA. Dr. McDonald uh, from the University of Arizona also talked to Sheldon. Now, Sheldon had been in the Navy, and when McDonald questioned him, McDonald found out that he knew about uh, Navy UFO cases during the Korean War. Uh so he couldn't get any uh, you know, hard facts, but he did get the idea that uh, Sheldon did know that there were cases during the uh, Korean War, and they uh, uh, they had been picked up on radar by the aircraft carriers, and they seemed to come from the north a lot of times. So, of course, they were suspected to be Russian or North Korean. Um, So I don't expect that uh, Sheldon ever gave a... uh, (coughs) an interview to the newspapers, but some of his uh, relatives might be around. I'd like to uh, talk to them to see if they had heard anything about him. Um, Colonel McCoy was in charge of intelligence at uh, Wright Field from uh, 1947 to uh, mid-1948. And uh, he was overall in charge of... uh, Project Sign, which is the first UFO project. Uh, At some time, they had almost 200 people working on the project. Uh, McDonald had talked to him, too. However, McDonald let him get away without uh, detailing what he knew. He knew that uh, he, he told McDonald, he said, Listen, we took these things serious at the beginning. We uh, investigated it as thoroughly as we could. And he said even with the number of people we had, we didn't have enough. Uh, After he died, uh, 
somebody did go to uh, uh, Colonel McCoy's uh, uh, house and asked to see any of his records. Now, he had plenty of uh, things from World War II, which uh, Kufos managed to get, but it had nothing to do with UFOs. It was about the war in, in Europe. Uh, there was nothing about UFOs or Foo Fighters or anything like that. Um, later on, we found out that McCoy, uh, after after 1948, mid-48, he, he went uh, to Washington, D.C. Supposedly, he wanted to retire in Washington, D.C., so a lot of times they would let the uh, officer for their last year um, uh, go go close to their home so they could make arrangements to get out of the military. However, with McCoy, something else was going on. Uh, when he got to Washington, he was sent to the CIA, and he spent six months um, secunded to the uh, CIA, and he went to Europe. We don't know what he was doing or anything. Uh, once again, uh, I doubt that he gave uh, interviews, but there might be a chance that uh, he had. So we're looking for things like that. Now, the guy that uh, initiated the project, Project Sign, And uh, he was the he was the monitor of it. He was the initiator. He started it. He was the one that figured out how they were going to run it and everything. Uh, a guy named Alfred Loading. He did give an interview to the press in 1954 about Project Sign. It was a long. It was a full page. I mean, a newspaper does a full page interview with him. So that's why we're hoping that there's some of these other things that will pop up or their papers will pop up. Uh, uh, loading, uh, uh, Loading's interview is, is very interesting. Uh, um, Michael David Hall and uh, um, Wendy Connors wrote a book about him. Uh, uh Alfred Loading in the uh, UFO flap of 1947. It's online at the NICAP site. You can read it there. It's for free. Um, uh, we have talked to Loading's people, so we're, that's not one of the the people we are looking for. Another person is uh, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Helen Barber. She worked at the Pentagon. Her job was she was editor of um, the uh, Air Intelligence uh, Review. So this was a, a monthly uh, magazine which was classified for air intelligence. Uh, they had art articles about UFOs in the early days in this magazine. Uh, 
Ruppelt wrote one about historical UFOs before 1947. It was never published. Uh, she was like uh, General Garland, who was uh, second in command in Air Force Intelligence. She was like his girl Friday. Uh, he would uh, he would ask her to get photographs and things like that. Um, so she worked on, uh, some of these photographs were never sent into the Pentagon or to, uh, to Project Sign and later Project Blue Book. So during the, the fifties, she worked to, uh, have these people that, had, you know, like at Holloman Air Force Base had taken several films. She worked on getting those films into the Pentagon and eventually to Blue Book. Her husband had such a job at the Pentagon in the top secret history for the 1950s. They said her uh, Colonel Barber uh, works in Air Force Intelligence. What he does, we can't say. This is in another portion of the history that is classified higher up. So there was nothing in exactly what he, what her husband did. Um, um, I know she's no longer alive, but once again, I'm wondering if her relatives have papers or anything that she had. Uh Ruppelt uh, only mentions her one time in his papers. While he mentions all these guys that he dealt with, he doesn't mention Mrs. Barber at all, although he uh, he got assistance from her in a number of things, including writing his article for uh, Air Intelligence Review. So... Or, I, I think she got short shrift on that. Um, we, we have a number of other people like that that we'd, we'd like to find or find their relatives or see if they've ever done any interviews. Um, uh, so we're, we're looking at, we've looked for, Tom and I looked for a lot of these people, uh, Especially if they're married, uh, a lot of times it's hard to trace women. Um, uh, Mrs. Barber, her husband died, and she was remarried, and then widowed again, I believe. So uh, I do know uh, she's she's passed away because I have a uh, a thing about her. Uh, the tombstone and the uh, the place she's in. Um, another person is uh, Colonel Odell. Now, anybody that uh, has written or has read uh, Keo's Flying Saucers from Outer Space uh, might recognize the name. He wrote a an article 
and was actually uh, considered for magazine publication outside the Air Force, but it wasn't. He wrote an article about uh, if UFOs were interplanetary, why might why might the uh, why might they be coming here? And he thought they were they might be a dying civilization that uh, needed new a new place to come. Now that's that's rather controversial. <clears throat> Keel was given the article. He was loaned the article. He was told that he could take it to a magazine, and they could look at it. And if they decided to publish it, <clears throat> they you know it, it might be released. Um, he he showed it to the editor, and he brought it back, but he didn't make a copy of it. It's unfortunate. I uh, found out recently that Colonel Odell was involved with night fighter during the Second World War, night fighters, and he had a UFO sighting. Um, so it would be interesting to uh, track him down. Now, hes I know he's no longer alive. I've, I've seen his tombstone, too, and his obituary. But maybe the family has something on on his uh, his sighting. Um, so I've got about uh, two dozen of these people that we like to track. It's uh, like I say, it's uh, so sometimes we don't find anything right away. Sometimes things appear. Um, we talk about David Mahler, who has uh, written a UFO book on triangular UFOs. And we were contacted. I was contacted, and I suggested somebody else uh, might be interested um, uh, because it was uh, about a nuclear scientist named uh, Leon Davidson and he had a uh, storage locker, and the, the uh, storage locker had uh, um, it had expired because he he had died. He, he and his wife are both uh, deceased, and so this guy had bought the contents of this locker. Now it had things about UFOs in it. A lot of it seemed quite common, so I, I passed it on to some other people. David Mahler uh, eventually convinced this guy to sell us the material to him. Uh, in this material is uh, uh, correspondence that he had about UFOs with the government, with the British government. Um, and like I said, things that uh, we already knew about him, but, you know, uh, you have to examine things. Sometimes you you come up with nothing, but he did have it, stuff that was interesting. The British government did answer some questions, and the, uh, they're usually uh, not helpful at all, but they were helpful to Davidson. So that, And this is, again, in the early 50s things. Now, he had a lot of uh, um, 
other literature that you might call a kook that he had accumulated. I think that's why it was in the storage locker, because most of the other papers that he had on UFOs, he had given to the... uh, the uh, University of Columbia, which he had a degree from the University of Columbia. And he was, like I said, interested in the UFOs from almost the very beginning. He was at uh, at three of the major nuclear laboratories or facilities. He was at uh, Oak Ridge, Los Alamos, and Hanford in Washington State. Um, In fact, he said he got investigated because he had been at the three different facilities. It was just a routine investigation because he was there uh, at, at three different facilities. So they said, you know, why is this guy moving around within the nuclear establishment here? Um... So it was just a routine security investigation, but he said he was investigated because of that. Um, he gave he was such a pain in the side of the Air Force. They invited him to see the Tremont movie, and uh, when they did that, they they tried to play some tricks on him to. Uh, get him in trouble with security people when he went to uh, talk to he talked to Dewey Forday when he went to talk to Forday before he had his interview with Forday they put him in this room now in a, uh, on the walls of the room were uh, pre-revolutionary maps of Moscow However, there were some items that said secret, which covered parts of the uh, old maps that probably had um, uh, updated um, things about the, you know, what what was in Moscow, facilities that were there, or um, organizations, or KGB, or something. Anyways, they had, they had covered these parts of the map with a, with a uh, flap that said secret. So he went into, into the room, and he says, he looks around, he sees all these flaps that said secret. He said, I, he said, I looked around, I, I, didn't think uh, they put me in this room for uh, just to stay there while they got Major Forday. He said, I think I'm being watched, and they want to see if I go over there and turn up one of the secret flaps. And he said, I, I knew better than to do that, so I didn't. Um, then when he saw the... Uh, um, Tremont film, when they showed him the Tremont film with the UFOs, at the very end of the Tremont film, there was uh, a short uh, thing that showed a sewing bobbin on the screen. 
And he, he, he said, I thought to myself at the time, these guys are chumps. He said, the reason that they showed me the uh, uh, sewing bobbin at the end of the film was if I were to say something about the film and mention the snow, uh, the sewing bobbin, because the film at the time was classified, they would know who was uh, who had uh, broken security. He said uh, they probably put other mundane objects at the end of the film. Uh, on other versions of the film to find out who uh, who, who broke uh, security, and he said this is is pretty ham-fisted as as far as he thought. He didn't he didn't he wasn't too impressed by their uh, counterintelligence acumen. Um, uh, he was did that, ha- was the bobbin like. For distribution, each person or each one, they put a. a well, no, he didn't know this for a fact, but he 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 surmised that if they uh, if they showed it to somebody else, they would have another mundane object on it. Interesting. Yeah, yes. the code that sounds familiar. Yeah. It really it, does. Yeah. Uh, he told. Uh, he told Fournay that he thought the Washington uh, National sightings were uh, radar spoofing by the CIA. Fournay wouldn't talk about that. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Uh, he said, "I can't. I can't talk about that. I don't." Um, Fournay had been to the uh, to the Washington Nationals when the second night. When they had the uh, the uh, UFOs over Washington, Fournay had been there and uh, watched the uh, whole business, um, so he was aware of that. Uh, but uh, he told uh, Davidson they couldn't talk about it. Um, uh, so. We're wondering, uh, Davidson talked to a lot of people, so we're wondering if there's documents on Davidson. Like I said, in this storage locker, there were new things that we didn't know about. Um, Some of them were, like I said, just crackpot things that people had sent him. But also, like I said, there were his correspondence with other government officials and um, uh, British air intelligence. So there was a, uh, there were significant new things in there. Uh, once again, it's uh, just, it's a something that popped up years and years afterwards. And uh, so we're, like I said, I got about two dozen of these things that, you know, people might know about or, um, for instance, if um, uh, Mary Lou Armstrong gave a, because she seemed to be upset 
she seemed to be upset about the way, way the conning committee was going. So she might have done an interview with the newspaper after she uh, resigned. It would be interesting to know if there is one. Some of these things are are really uh, they're hidden because they didn't get on the uh, the wire service. It's just a local interview with somebody that's uh, new. Now, like I said, somebody that's new. Does that that what I said? Somebody that's uh, uh, some uh, that's known in the local community. So. Like I said, though, UFOs is a marginal subject, so a lot of people might not talk about it. Um, We found um, uh, one of the uh, Condon Committee members had been fired. Um, He was was fired early on for uh, smoking marijuana. However, he had been on several investigations, and he had certain Condit Committee uh, material in his possession. So uh, that's another guy. And now, just looking through this material that was in these boxes that we had sent from Kufos, I found another item from him and an item from the project administrator that apparently had been sent to to Heineck and been put aside, and they ended up in these uh, boxes of unsorted material. So this is is like a, a big hunt, a big scavenger hunt to see if we can find uh, new material. Um, I know uh, we had in Connecticut here, we had uh, NICAP Connecticut. We had a if affiliate. And we did investigations. And some of them are in NICAP, but some of them aren't. I did meet with one of the guys that, was, that I knew during the... Uh, the 50s and 60s, and he was the uh, investigator. He was the main investigator for the thing. So he let me. Co- he had kept everything that he sent into NICAP in his own file. So he let me copy that. So that was a that was another um, thing where we we found stuff that we thought was lost. And and somebody had a copy of it. So this is uh, um, interesting. Now, Franklin University in New Hampshire, uh, they had a NICAP affiliate. Uh, one of the professors was uh, the head of it, uh, John Maloney. And uh, the dean of the university let him uh, use university facilities to investigate. Also, when the conning committee started, the dean uh, let them use the university as a contact point for people that wanted to report UFOs. 
I don't think anybody's been up there to uh, to Franklin University to see if uh, Franklin College to see if there's anything left there. <clears throat> I did talk to John Maloney. He didn't uh, he didn't have anything left from his uh, days as NICAP. Um, talking about another university, University of Tennessee. Uh, in 1950, there were a lot of UFO cases around the nuclear laboratory at Oak Ridge. And I found one newspaper item that said, and it listed two uh, professors from the University of Tennessee that were looking into the UFO problem. This is 1950 now. Um, at the behest of the government. Now, I have found some articles that uh, one of the guys in Tennessee uh, found in the local newspapers uh, about one of the professors, but it has nothing about UFOs. Um, That'd be interesting to check the archives of the... uh, Uh, University of Tennessee to see if there's anything about about these two professors. Um, Robert Lowe was the project administrator for um, the Condon Committee. Now, people may not know this, but towards the end of the Condon Committee, he was actually fired. They fired a lot of people. But he had been the uh, project administrator. He'd been the number two man, and Condon was not really a hands-on administrator. So uh, Robert Lowe was the administrator. Um, he died in an air airplane accident, so we don't know where his uh, papers are. I know he can't be... Uh, interviewed. However, maybe his family had papers or maybe they're at some other university or things like that. Uh, uh, We find out that some of these some of these people have uh, not made a big deal about uh, having the uh, having their uh, personal papers uh, given to uh, either the university they attended or universities they worked for. Um, so uh, sometimes it's it's kind of hard to dig these things out unless you can get somebody in the local area to look for it. Um, uh, Dr. J, or Professor J.U. Pruitt, uh, was at the University of uh, Oregon. He had an observatory there. He was an astronomer. One of the things he did was trace meteors. They look for uh, meteorites at the end of uh, um, uh, the meteor's course through the atmosphere. Uh, They did this by uh, asking people to uh, send them accounts of uh, meteors, and they were, if if they got 
a, uh, more than uh, a dozen or so of these accounts, a lot of times they could uh, um, put together how, the trajectory of the meteor and find a meteor right at the end. Um, it's interesting, he had a column in the local newspaper. It said in the column that he had been asked by a government official, this is in 1952, to uh, uh, to uh, help in uh, reporting UFOs. He's, and he told people, he said, so people that uh, send me uh, meteor reports, please send me any UFO reports. <clears throat> now, who is this mystery government official? So uh, we found out that he had given his, uh, some of his papers to uh, the University of Oregon. Um, it turns out that the government official was uh, Heineck, J. Allen Heineck. And uh, there were some uh, UFO correspondence and um, uh, reports that he had that he had sent to Heineck. So that's uh, that was interesting. Um, so that's the mystery government official there. Um, about the same time in North Carolina. Now, this is not the Air Force. This is the Third Army. The Third Army asked the State Civil Defense Director, uh, please gather UFO reports. It's 1952 in August. Please gather UFO reports and send them to Third Army Intelligence. So... Uh, the civil defense director, whose name was E.Z. Johnson, uh, he went ahead and he told all his local civil defense directors to go to the local newspapers and ask for UFO reports. Ask the local newspapers saying that North Carolina civil defense was looking for UFO reports. And so they were They uh, they did what they were told, and the local directors said, "We're you know send us any UFO reports you have." Now, I looked in the North Carolina archives. Easy Johnson was the civil defense director. There was a lot of correspondence about Easy Johnson in there, and about things that he did. What wasn't in there was any UFO reports. But in one of the newspapers, it said that he went on an investigation with the local uh, chief of police, and what they had investigated was a low-level sighting that had happened in 1951, and uh, he had he had uh, forwarded this as he was supposed to the Third Army. Okay, so now we've got another mystery on our hands 
uh, one of the things would be to find out if there's any documents in Third Army archives on this stuff. Um, but since every civil defense director in North Carolina was uh, alerted to look for UFO sightings, I wonder if any of these guys came up with any. Now, I did talk to one, the uh, um, the civil defense director in Raleigh at the time. No, I talked to his son. Uh, he had been he had passed away, but his father had been a colonel in the army, and then after uh, after World War II, he got into the civil defense. So he was the director of the local civil defense in 1952. Um, the son said he didn't know uh, the. Uh, father had never talked about UFOs, but he said he was at the local headquarters all the time, and he worked uh, very hard for the civil defense in uh, in uh, Raleigh. And then, uh, but uh, he had never mentioned UFOs. But like, there's there's. Uh, uh, scores of maybe hundreds of UFO, or excuse me, civil defense directors in in North Carolina that might have had this um, directive to look for UFOs and gone to their local newspaper like E.Z. Johnson had told them to do, asking for UFO reports. Um This is just more of the the things that we're trying to sort through in the UFO history here. Um, uh, <clears throat> um, Clyde Thombo is professor at the uh, uh, New Mexico State University. Now he uh, he worked at White Sands. Besides, he is an astronomer, and he's the one that discovered Pluto. Um, he was interested in UFOs, and there is some correspondence at Kufos between him and Heineck. Uh, Heineck had asked him to keep track of UFOs down there. He did have some... Now, we did go... His papers are at the university. So we did. We were able to go to the university and find out that he did uh, interview some people at White Sands who had seen UFOs. During his tenure there, that was uh, well into the uh, late 60s, and uh, that was in his papers at the university. He had also done <clears throat> a uh, a project for the army for uh, looking for. Um, this is before any any satellites were launched from Earth. He was looking for uh, satellites around the Earth 
and he got support from the uh, um, Ordnance Department of the U.S. Army for this uh, um, this project. So he was looking for art. Well, he was looking for satellites. Some people think he was looking for artificial satellites. Um, he also looked for anything that was circling the moon at this time. Of course, that's the way he found Pluto. He did a lot of photographic research to find Pluto. So they, uh, the Army probably figured that he was uh, uh, very good at this finding um, hard-to-see uh, objects with photographic plates. He eventually sent somebody to uh, one of his students to uh, Ecuador, and because uh, it's close to the equator, he thought that uh, satellites might be on the equator. Supposedly, he didn't find any, or if he found some, they were like there for one or two days, and then they were gone. There were some things where. He think he thinks he might have had a positive, but he didn't. Uh, anyways, the idea that he had such a project was uh, <clears throat> in the fifties. It was uh, it was a a giant uh, news story that went around worldwide. Um, uh, he had briefed a class of uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Lincoln LaPlaza's uh, University of New Mexico astronomy and mathematics class. And the brief, uh, his briefing got out to the, uh, the press, and they just went wild with this thing. It was in uh, Aviation Week and other things. Um <clears throat> There's a large report in the uh, um, in the university that he did as a final report, and like I say, it's unclear if he did find any uh, satellites uh, orbiting the Earth before Sputnik, but he had a couple of candidates that seemed to be uh, in orbit around the Earth. Uh, <clears throat> like I say, it's we have about 24 of these people that we'd like to check out. Uh, and I've also told you some of the ones we have checked out. John Timmerman used to uh, he used to have an ex exhibition that he exhibit that he had. He traveled all around U.S. and Canada. Uh, he went. He did this free. Huh? He did this free for everybody, or did he charge? Well, he was. It was a Kufos uh, exhibit. Oh. You know, so he had you know. Uh, um, Illustrations about UF, <clears throat> uh, good UFO cases. He had he had some pictures, <coughs> and he used to go to malls 
and libraries and things like that. Um, and I, I mean, he went all over. He was in Guam. One of his, he ended up in Guam doing this ex. And he he interviewed uh, hundreds of people that came to the uh, exhibition, and then wanted to tell him about cases that he knew uh, that uh, they knew about, or that you know that they were witnesses to. Um, so we've got all his, and he would record the interviews, and then he type them all up. And uh, Michael Swords wrote a. Uh, wrote a book with some of the more interesting ones in called uh, uh, Grassroots Ufology. Uh, so the exhibition, I think, is going to the Roswell Museum eventually. Um, that's where it's going to end up. Uh, now, in these things, now in these recordings, there were interesting... Uh, cases that he took he took people's addresses and telephone numbers so they were able to follow up on some of them uh some of them were more like um, the uh head of psychiatry at Wright field uh, had talked to a uh a pilot out there who had a UFO case. And so they they talked to it, and they, um, the psychiatrist told uh, the pilot, uh, go, go over there and report it to Project Blue Book. Um, so he did. And... Uh, it was Colonel Friend who was the head of Project Blue Book at the time, and this this guy was from. Uh, he was at the. It was in the early fifties. It was in Georgia, and he uh, encountered a UFO at close quarters in uh, uh, in in a fighter aircraft out of out of. Uh, was it Dobbins? I think it was Air Force Base. Um, friend tried to convince him that he had seen a balloon, and he didn't take any information on the uh, on the case, so it doesn't appear in Blue Book. However, uh, we have a letter from the. From the pilot, it'd be interesting if we could find more about this case. It's one that wasn't in Blue Book. I think the reason Friend did not place this older case in Blue Book is because at the time the pressure was to uh, be able to tell people we have less and less cases over the years. Of course, by 1966 and 67. That was completely, well, actually, 65, 66, 67, that was completely dynamited because uh, uh, a giant flap ensued, and 
they had they they were forced the air force was forced into uh doing something like the condon uh uh committee research because the public was up in arms about all the UFOs they were reading about in the newspapers. <clears throat> but like I say, there's things in the Timmerman uh, uh, transcripts of his meeting with people at the ex, uh, exhibition, which is all over the country. I mean, you know, places like Omaha and Minneapolis, New York, Atlanta, Georgia, um, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, Dallas. He'd gone all over the country with this um, thing. It was... The malls liked it because they could put something in the newspaper about it, and it attracted uh, people to the mall. Uh, he stopped doing this in the, uh, I think, the uh, early 80s. But he he had been all around the country and talked to uh, people not only in the United States but Canada. And like I say, he'd even been to Guam. In fact, from Guam, uh, he had talked to uh, police officers, and they had—they actually sent him some. They sent Kufos, anyway, some police reports. Um, so that—that was—that was interesting. <coughs> like I say, uh, some of the best cases were in something called grassroots ufology. And it's almost like a uh, a summary of what UFO reports are like. Everything from close encounters and abductions to uh, um, air uh, or fighter chases, um, police cases. Um, just about anything you could imagine is in that book. Um, and uh, while it it did sell fairly well, most people have never, never never seen it. I think you can still get it on Amazon. So I just wanted to go through some of the uh, some of the. Uh, unusual places you find UFO material. <coughs> and like I said, I'll be placing, in a couple of days, I hope, I'll be placing uh, some of the things that we're looking for that uh, might still be out there. To uh, we hope to uh, uh, just connect maybe with one or two, um, but like I said, uh, just uh, finding this letter in Kufos uh, in this box that apparently somebody had put aside and never looked at again. 
Isn't that weird? But I yeah. guess what do we do with it? You know, if we don't have paid for investigators. Right. There's just there's just too much material. Well, Heineck said it himself. He says we have an embarrassment of riches. We have so many things. And, and it's uh there's just too much to concentrate on. Yeah. Well, we're doing the best we can with what time we have left. That's right. And, you know, I can take the links of the ones we choose that we feel like. I'm talking with a guy in India right now trying to help me. Uh, He's in New Delhi, India, but he's looking at everything to try to help me get under one place, one app, and then just put all our links for all the – I mean, it's a lot of work even for me just to get all the websites that people have built in the UFO business. But I don't know which ones, you know, we're going to consider bona fide or good info or fly by night. But I've been here eight years. I don't plan on going away unless I die. I keep up my own uh, archives here. So I've got eight years since 2012 through 19. So uh, right here. And then I can cut, uh, take the you can hit a little button on the bottom of each one and put it wherever you want. We can put them on yours if you have room, but they'll just plug in back over to blog talk. So it doesn't eat up your bandwidth. Right. But it just uh, takes whatever show you made. And uh, I'm in the process of taking, I got 35 websites just taking them instead of all being under different topics. I'm trying to bring them all under one heading. And my uh, friend Thomas Becker suggested, I put it all under one company like American Communication Line, and we can put all the UFO stations under one and the paranormal metaphysical. You know, like FM radio has me under metaphysical, so they, they'll do that. They'll take your radio podcasting shows and put them under various headings, and on their page and their website, they'll have all the ones, all the talk shows pertaining to a particular topic, even though everybody names them something different. So it's, it's like... Uh, there's so much information out there now, Jan, just trying to find it and find it properly and getting put under what they call hashtags now, right? Right. To look up hashtag UFO or ET or alien and paranormal, metaphysical. There's, And I try to get under all, you know, as many as I can so they can find our website and our information for those looking for it. So. I have to be up on the words and the etymology, but fortunately, UFO has always been out there. Now they're using UAP a lot, right? Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but that's, you know that's how another problem. Of course, the pro- main problem is uh, the subject is not considered uh, mainstream, so. Uh, well, that will change, uh, hopefully, this year from a pseudoscience to a science, but it does take a lot of the academics recognizing it with. But, you know, now with the government and that video that came out, I guess the uh, UFO, well, ufologists used 2017 as the coming out on a major, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that due to it being in the New York Times or something? They used Yeah, 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 that's when the, the New York Times article came out, so... Yeah, yeah, so, so they they, post they, that. We, uh, we got a lot of uh, of recognition then. Um, I talked to this uh, uh, 
half Japanese, so she she speaks Japanese. Um, and when I when we were at the conference at uh, North Carolina Mufon, um, she had a crew with her, and they were working for Japanese uh, Japanese television show over there. And so uh, uh, they had just hired her because she was uh, an English speaker, but she could do it. She could also, you know, afterwards tell what what the interview was about, and she was interviewing people. Um, so uh, we met there, and she uh, she didn't know who to interview. So I introduced her to a number of people there and she said you know in the vaults of our television uh, channels in Japan there's a lot of UFO interviews done in the United States that have never been used and she said I don't know how you would get the information but she says there's a lot of it and uh, uh when they send people over to the United States to interview them, and I guess this is probably the case in a lot of um, film and television interviews, uh, they interview many more people than they ever use or they have much more material than they ever use and it just sits in vaults somewhere. Uh, Now when we had the... uh, the ABC program about UFOs, Peter Jennings, um, they did uh, put up a website for a couple of years with material that they got or that they didn't use on the uh, program. Even so, they didn't. They interviewed uh, um, dozens and dozens of pilots, and they... uh, made animation of their sightings and they used only used a few of the animations that they had made at the end of the program when they were running their credits and there's all these uh, UFO sightings by pilots one after another as the credits are running so um, um but we found out from the ABC news people that they had they had done much more than just a few pilots. They'd done, you know, uh, scores of pilots, uh, and they'd made all these. But they're sitting in the ABC uh, news uh, library, um, and they were never shown to the public even though they did have a website where they did put a lot of stuff up that was uh, involved in the show that they didn't use in the show. Uh, They didn't use these animations, which would have been great. Well, I know it's time-consuming, and you've devoted your life to this, really, uh, since your dad in high school, so I recommend you as a major player... And then uh, 
I guess if we can get these guys organized, at least get their name and websites out there with you, who would you recommend? That you have one in Australia and one in Europe. Don't you do it by continents, or do you do it by plates, or how do you? Well, I got Project Forty Seven, and my uh, my uh, webmaster is in Australia, so he knows a lot of the Australians. So. Um, um, on my website, I, I have uh, Bill Chalker and uh, Keith Basterfield and uh, a few other uh, Australians that uh, have let me use their material. Um, and so I know people in England. So I've got some. I've got some of uh, uh, thing about early. Uh, UFO investigations in the 60s, uh, especially by Julian Hennessy, who was a NICAP uh, European uh, subcommittee chief. Um, and so I've got an article about him on uh, on my site. Um, How much uh, do you have in there? Do you know the total size from your webmaster on Project uh, 19? No, it's... Uh, it's huge, and we're adding stuff all the time. So, um, there might Fine be there's a, there's there's plenty of sites that are bigger, but <clears throat> we tend to be more uh, choosy about what we put up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if Keith Keith Basterfield does anything, I just automatically put it up. In fact, I I was kidding with him the other day, and I said. Uh, Project Forty Seven is uh, is changing its name to uh, uh, Basterfield Research <laughs> because <laughs> I'm being I'm being pushed out by this Australian guy that's doing all this stuff, um, but he's very uh, generous generous with his research. Well, have so, you got a page or something? I don't see it when I'm on your site right now. Now, uh, it's, uh, you, you know, you don't have a lot of bells and whistles. It's not lackluster. You can tell it's more educational. It's right. bland, right. earthy colors, beige and black. Just says, welcome to Project. So it looks more like white-collar academic yeah, masculine. If you, if you uh, click on what's new uh, at the very top, okay. At the okay. very top, there's things that say articles, catalogs. Sorry. If you yeah. go to catalogs, you'll find, uh, say, Michael Swords, Keith Basterfield, Richard Hall. Okay, I went to update all those. Catalog. All those guys are, are guys that do catalogs, and uh, Basterfield is, is one of the ones that does uh, many catalogs. I have, uh, I think I have a dozen of his on uh, on my site there. Yeah. Um, and there is a category saying catalog, so. Uh, now, you don't have a secure socket on yours. It comes up not secure. Has he not explained that to you uh, nowadays? Or, uh, you may want to look at an SSL. It costs extra money annually, but a lot of the browsers require it these days. I don't know. I had to pay extra for it, but because uh, it'll show it's not secure. 
Yeah, at least it's showing me it's not secure. So a lot of people, uh, I don't know what's going on these days out there on the Internet. I should, but I, it's gotten to be so much to know. It's hard to know, you know, to, but your files are important. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at them right now, but I got to it okay. It just is not secure. But I don't know if Google started that or which browsers. You know, there's all these rules. They right. used to be I I C A N N I can used to rule and now something else has taken over. I don't know the United Nations or something. I don't even know anymore. I, it's hard to stay up on all this, you know. But this has Project 1947. I'm on close encounters with unknown missiles, and it's got uh, archives for UFO research in Sweden by Klaus von and Anders Ligegren. Yep. Just happened to be one I've turned on. But right, yeah, right. now do y'all have they, they they let us use that one. It's kind of a, a thing that was going on. You know, it's be, it's before drones, but these people would these uh, pilots would be you know as they're as they're uh, uh, they would be seeing these things, uh, which you might classify as UFOs, or you might classify them as missiles. Ah. And, yeah, uh, here's one of the British so he, Britannia. He, uh, they did a they did a, uh, a uh, an article on that for me. Sunday uh, Times. It was an article that they did for themselves, I think. Yeah, it was, yeah. In, it was in one of their publications. So I said, "Well, let me put it online." Uh, so that, you know, it's, uh, it's well. One tell of those me how things. you got in this project sign. I'm very curious with project sign. And uh, let me go back to the beginning. Let me see if I can get back to the beginning of your website. But it's got a nice little brand or logo. Let me, yeah, I think I'm back to the front. Yeah, there it is. Sign, S-I-G-N, it's, instead of uh, acronym, all caps, it's sign like a word, S-I-G-N. So yeah, a, is it a word okay. instead of a uh, sign, acronym? Sign was the first the UFO project, but uh, um is on there the is a thing that says Sign Historical Group. It's a small group of uh, historians that uh, we met in, the first meeting was in Chicago in uh, uh, 1989, 1990, yeah. 1998, 1998. Uh, oh, 98. Oh, that was really, way later after 47 then. Huh? Yeah. So, but Project Sign was the first, you know, uh, UFO Project, so uh, Wendy Connors suggested because she had uh, she had uh, uh, Project Sign Research uh, website, which unfortunately, uh, when she died, it's it's no longer available. Um, it might be on uh, the web archives. The Who writes these Jeep. articles? I'm on your articles. Now, she's passed, but you got some pretty colorful artwork on articles down here, the True Magazine, some pretty pictures. Yeah, so uh, Wendy suggested that uh, we have a name that does not incorporate UFOs. Oh, and what was that? And so she said, she said, well, she said UFO people know who what Project Sign is, but somebody that's if we correspond with somebody from academia or anything, they won't uh, just automatically trash our letter. 
If you say oh, you're, yeah, you're, sure. you're the Stein Historical Group, and yeah, actually I've got some pretty good uh, uh, cooperation from people. Uh, I'm the vice chairman. Uh, Tom Tulee is the chairman. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I when we con- we contact people, uh, we use that as a as our uh, uh, name. Yeah, so, and it can be, you know, uh, it, it, it can be interpreted as other things like sign of, sign of the times or... Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's a... True magazine, instead of true or Project 47 or fate, you use sign. Yeah. <laughs> Historical group. I gotcha. Okay, that explains that. Well, good. And now, uh, how do you decide what articles you want to put out there monthly. Do you always put a monthly, an updated monthly for your magazine, or Project 47, 1947? Uh, well, it's, you know, whenever we get something done, so sometimes we may put a lot of stuff up there right right away, or maybe take a while to put things up there. <coughs> I'm trying to get I'm 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 basically wor- working on early history, but if you if you go through there, you'll find things about what's happening today too. But I went to the ten most wanted. <laughs> yeah. Here are ten yeah. important articles by Barry Greenwood and Jan Aldridge. These articles could help to shed. Now, do you have to send it to your? You can't post direct. You have to send it to your webmaster. Yeah, that's what or I do. do. You have Oh, My webmaster's in okay. Australia, so. Well, does it save money in Australia? Because I'm with GoDaddy and. No, uh, no, it's he, just he he does this for free. He's oh wow! Yeah, he's. I wonder where he archives. Does he have a hard server? Where does he keep everything in a server? Yeah, uh, he he's got it in Australia. We we got it elsewhere too. Yeah, the hard copy or the. Right. I guess electronic data. So, uh, yeah, he he works in in computers, and so uh, you know that's free labor for us. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I mean, if you if you go to the the uh, Navy NavCat, the Navy uh, catalog uh, on. Uh, on Navy sightings, and you see all the aircraft and different ships and everything that he he's using. He's uh, interested in military stuff, so he found most of those pictures. So we, you know, we have uh, like uh, uh, one early forty-seven sighting was made in September uh, uh, forty-seven uh, was from the Chipolo. Um, so, uh, he found a, a picture of the Chipolo. I think it's still in service. It's a, it's a refueling vessel. So, uh, we have, you know, he finds those pictures, uh, you know, if it's, uh, <clears throat> a, uh, uh, say like, a a Navy, uh, um, Hellcat aircraft to find a picture of Navy Hellcraft air, aircraft to put it up there so people can see what the uh, 
um, what the uh, um, ships or aircraft were like that were involved in the sighting. So we we got uh, we got hundreds of pictures of uh, various uh, for the Navy cat, which includes Coast Guard and Marines and uh, the other miscellaneous um, seagoing services for the U.S. government. So there's uh, uh, he's found a, a, a large number of, of, of pictures of these uh, um, ships, some of which have been junked and they don't uh, they don't exist anymore. But it's possible to find pictures of them. He spends a lot of time doing that. That's a that's a heck of a job. Well, maybe he'll come on once in a while. Yeah. And so uh, Barry Greenwood's got his own site, and it's called the Greenwood Archives. So, ah, okay, Barry Greenwood, Greenwood Archives. Yeah. And his uh, uh, he he had two publications. He did. He did uh, uh, just cause, and so he's got all his just cause. And it, it, there's two series. There's one that was done before he took over Just Cause. So he's got all the publications up there for for both series. And he's got the uh, uh, UFO Historical Review, which is his publication. He, he's got those up there. He's got other uh UFO publications that some of them are kind of rare, and he's got various inventories that he's done of uh, UFO publications and sightings and things like that. Goodness, um, so uh, his site his thing is up there. Of course, uh, uh, NICAP website. Um, Fran Ridge does that one. Now that's got. Um, I, I'd say uh, over a thousand UFO cases, a lot of them from Blue Book, but from all over, all over the world, going back to 1900 uh, to uh, current dates. Um, and that's kind of, we, we kind of made a deal between us that he would do more modern stuff and I would do the more historical stuff. Oh, okay. So NICAP has a, a lot of modern material on it, and I have more historical material. Now, we both have historical material. You can't avoid it, but I mean, you know. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a thing we've made between us. Yeah. And uh, Tom has his his website is um, sign oral history uh, project and so uh, on his website he, he's he got a list of all the uh, interviews that uh, he's done some of them are with me some of them were Brad Sparks other people 
we we go and interview uh, UFO personalities, um, uh, investigators, witnesses, uh, people that were involved in uh, uh, in the Air Force investigations and things like that. Is uh, it competitive or no? No, we're not competitive. We're all co- cooperative. Cooperative, good. So the sign oral history program has uh, 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 Lauren Gross's um, books on it, UFO history or uh, UFO, the fifth horseman of the apocalypse. (laughs) So there's about, uh, I think it's 50 booklets that he's done starting from 1896 going forward to uh, 1963. Um, And in some cases, uh, the coverage is minute by minute what was happening in the uh, UFO history. Um, He used to spread his stuff out in his uh, dining room and his living room on the floor and then put everything in chronological order. And uh, like I say, sometimes it's, it's minute by minute what's, what's occurring. And it's a a very thorough history of the early UFO phenomena. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, well, I'd like to just, instead of all their stuff, I'd like to do like a picture of you, a picture of Barry, just the people, and then how you get to their websites, right? Because it'll take me forever just to do you guys, much less all the stuff you collect. Right. I just grabbed berries off of NICAP. It said Bio Barry Greenwood. So I captured that. Now I can go over to my GoDaddy account and open up my UFO Association again and put it in there. I'm always changing. Uh, I mean, I always keep my radio shows so those don't go away, but I'm always changing my website, so I play a lot. But uh, the UFOassociation.org, I think I'm just going to start with you guys, and then I may put a radio show once in a while. What do you think? How do you think? Because this would be international. I'm I'm not sure. I think you you probably know better than I do. Well, I'm going to do like a who's who, but and then as long as I put their picture in a little bio in their website, then we can have a who's who directory. And then by the time it gets not pseudoscience and science, we can decide, you know, who are real researchers, historians, or, you know, who's doing what. And uh, right now, I'd just like to know who all, because... I always did with like Don Berliner, Stanton Friedman, Bob Wood. I'm trying to think of big names that. Yeah. I always. See, nobody of. nobody knows who Lauren Gross is. Uh uh-uh. uh So if and you go if you go to if you go to Tom's site, which is Sign Oral History Project. Okay, I got to look at that Sign Oral History. Sign Oral History Project. Okay, I put all those words in. Oh, come right up. Uh, Sign Oral History Project. Welcome. S O H P dot us. Is that it? 
Yes. Yeah. Now, if you look, that, it, there should be there should be some buttons right on the left side of the screen. One says UFO history. No. Oh no! But there's a little bitty, tiny, tiny uh, writing for old people. It's a. Uh, there, uh, it's not set up with buttons like a updated WordPress. It's got tiny, tiny writing under the logo. It's got index, oral history, and UFOs of history. Yeah, hit, click the UFO history. UFO history. Okay, history. Okay, now it says by Lauren E. Gross, skip to document index. Okay, there's yeah. a, there, there, is a, there is your picture of Lauren Gross when he was... Uh, Worked for the uh, Ground Observer Corps. Which one, the young boy or the one in the, the young boy? Wow! And, and I wrote there. You have a uh, biography of him too, which I wrote. Cool. Oh, you did. So yeah. that was smart. You got him on yours, huh? So, nice. Now, did you index his name for Google and all the websites? Yeah, put it like a. They call them hashtags now. <laughs> right, so right. Find it. Uh, search engine optimization is what they call it now, SEO. But they'll change that sooner or later. I can't even keep up with what's what anymore now that they go on the phones. and I used to know how to program everything, but you get right. hard to stay up on all this. Wow, uh, Lauren, Gross is, uh, Lauren Gross is, uh, he, he's no longer in the field, but. Those booklets are uh, invaluable. Wow, the fifth horseman of the apocalypse. Nice. Well, just sitting and reading, you could spend all day just reading on your website just from this right. one. Right, yeah. Lawrence is just, I mean, he got people from all over the world to send him stuff. I mean, wow. it, it's just amazing the amount of stuff. I went. I, I went to. I went to his house, and he 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 showed me how he how he did this. He had everything spread out in the, like I said, the living room and the dining room. Wow. And what an art form! This is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I see Lawrence Fawcett. I see uh, Bruce. I saw Bruce McAbee's name. Have you got all these people already? Oh, you already did this. Looks like you already got a whole bunch of people. Yeah, those are people that that uh, that um, I, I think I, I I can't see what you're reading, but I think those are all people that contributed to to uh, Lauren Gross's book. Well, uh, yeah, it says contributors include a colon, and then a name. It's got Don Berliner, Ted Blosher, Murray Bolt. You got George Fawcett, Lawrence Fawcett, Stanton Friedman. Barry Greenwood, Claude Maget from France, William Moore, Mutual UFO Network. Ah, you just blumped in Mutual UFO Network like everybody or anybody with that group, huh? But the rest are people. Oh, here's Roswell Museum Collection, right. University of Arizona. Nice. Yeah, this takes a lot of work. I can really appreciate it because – but you and I started in libraries, and we like this kind of work. But this is not everybody does. We're sort of nerdy, <laughs> right? That's it. So, uh, yeah, the so, nerd part. We don't go out. I've never done a been to a UFO event ever, 
ever, ever. So I'm really nerdy, but I don't even get out to those. But I only got into helping in 2000. Well, I told you Jay Ellen I kind of asked me to, but I didn't have the opportunities until uh, I retired and, you know, got with my husband and the government and all that would put me with him. But he asked me in the air, but I didn't really think I'd ever wind up doing it. But now I feel obligated. Of course, he's gone. But And then you're working real good with CUFOs right now and helping them get their stuff, what you can, uh, microfished. You still need people, though, don't you? Is there anybody in sure, Chicago? Sure, we, we uh, love to have people that could index things, like the index. FBI files. Wow. Because, like, the FBI files are online, but they're not indexed, and they're just all jumbled together from different years. So you might have 57 and then something in the 60s, and then something even, you know, it's just all jumbled together. So you, get, you go to the FBI files and then go Yeah, in yeah it's uh, FBI.gov, and then there's yeah. a reading room. You go to the reading room, and there's the UFO files. Um, and besides that, I have uh, FBI files from uh, some of the offices. Like I have the on my site, I have the Seattle office up there, so people can see what uh, what the FBI files from the local offices look like. What we investigate. Now I'm on their site, FBI.gov, and then I have to go. Where do you go to? It says more, most wanted news. What we investigate, services, resources about. Let me see. Is it under resources? Uh, where would the I don't where's their library more let me go over here on the left you have to know how to navigate yeah I think it says reading room doesn't it not yet (laughs) I'm looking though I'm on more I'm going down about contacts submit a tip history let me go outreach photos crime stats let me try 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 FOIA in the search. F O I P A. Is that yeah, yeah, Freedom of Information Privacy Act? You're right. Okay. Understanding FBI, obtaining FBI records, what's happening. But that's always the thing with we're inundated with information, but knowing where to go and how to get it. Okay, I'm on that page, but Does it say something about okay, reading like, room or um let's see. I don't think it says X-Files, it says something like it. Okay, let's see. Uh, FBI Vault, Freedom of Information, Crime Justice Information, Training Academy, FOIPA Status, Freedom of Information. Not yet. It's just under services right now. Let me look on the show or hide. No, it's just a little box. Lord, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, Just put UFOs in there. It'll go to that. Yeah, let me go up here in the top right. UFO in the search bar. When in doubt, search. Okay, now it took me to its own page inside the FBI.gov at search. And it's got UFOs and Guy Hotel Memo, Unexplained Phenomenon, the FBI Story, under all. So I'll get an unexplained phenomenon, maybe. Let's see. Unexplained 
just no audio and explain phenomena. Darn it, it used to be easier what they've been doing. Because I used to could get to it real easy. I just say go to the FBI files, but they're getting all good at getting everything arranged too, archived. Now yeah. gee. I mean it used to be easier. Now I don't even know where to go in here. I used to go in here all the time. Let's see. Halpern someone. Didn't they used to have an X file? I mean, FBI. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't think they call it's it. It's gotten I, more I, difficult. Yeah, I think now. they called unexplained phenomena or something. No. Businesses later. Yeah, it's all. Dang. Well, it used to be a lot easier, but not anymore. Let's see. Press speeches, testament, underneath what we investigate, services about. Resources, FBI jobs, most wonderful. And I'm, well, no, it took me to audio. Let me just go back up here and more. Most wanted news, what we investigate, video history. No, well, where's my little. I don't think there's yeah. any audio or visual tapes. I think it's, yes, uh, it's just the text. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I just put your phone, got my. Okay, UFOs and the guy hotel memo. It used to be a lot more than this, but I don't yeah, know what's a, going there's on. Yeah, there's all the files that they, they released. It's, it's huge. Well, when we get off, go research or go in there and see because, wow, it looks different than it used to. Yeah, well, these guys keep changing up their files all the time. Yeah, it used to be easier. Sometimes the, when they the make CIA it easier, uh, changes things every, all the time. Remember Deloach, top ten. Yeah, now you can't. It used to be really popular, or at least I'd go right to the FBI files and put UFO, and it was real easy. Now it's, God, I can't even find it now. <laughs> this is getting ridiculous, but that's what's going on. I mean, we are all got so much information out there now. Videos, press release speeches, podcasts and radio, photos, apps, what we investigate, services, resources. Let me look at resources. Resources, law enforcement, businesses, victim services, reports, maybe reports and publications. Okay, now categories, reports and publications, and search for them. I'll put UFO, UFO filter, nothing. (laughs) All right, nothing. All right, well, what about category? No. Shoot. A library. Filter by library, maybe. Library and UFO filter. Nope, it's gotten harder, Janet. Remember, it used to be, I just tell people on radio all the time, just go look. Anyway, well, anyway, we're going to have to make it easy. What I was saying is the documents need to be... uh, Index. Now Barry yeah. Greenwood has done that with the uh, the Office of Special Investigations. That's the Air Force. Uh, they they it's sort of a uh, uh, a parallel investigation that the Air Force was doing uh, parallel to Project Blue Book. So uh, some of the uh, files are not in Project Blue Book, so they're uh, independent. So Barry got copies of those things and uh, indexed the uh, uh, the different cases. Um, 
Richard Hall uh, put together uh, all the all the uh, sightings that were in the CIA files. There's it's about 200 some in the CIA files, so that's quite a bit. Um, so, but we got many things that are not indexed yet. Did we go over time today? Yeah, we did. I hadn't even noticed it. I'm so sorry, folks. We're over time by 18 minutes. You and me, we start talking, Jan. <laughs> We're still online. Well, we better get off of here so they can have this on the only the two-hour one, Spreaker and Stitcher and wherever, FM radio under paranormal. But I've looked at, I know we're on FM radio, folks. And uh, I'll get this over on UFO Association for uh, book one, episode eight. I'll grab all the Jans. All right. Well, I'll see you next week, same time, same station, right, Jan? Okay. And you go see if you can find that UFO. Tell us how to get into that on FBI next week. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, right, I'll, I'll have that down. Post it on your, your website, and I'll try to go get the uh, eight so far we done, and I'm going to put it on UFO Association. i got to go set it up for the okay. radio show. All right. Thanks, Jan. You're doing a great job. We'll get it together. we just got to keep working. I hope Barry and some of these other main guys uh, help us. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you all next week. Right. Uh, we'll be on this week for other stations or in other uh, – we'll be on for Revolution Radio Thursday and – Friday for Allied Command right here on TJ Marcy T Radio. Thank you, Jan. See you next week. See, see you then. <laughs>